Hello and welcome to episode 163 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, it's episode 163. They said we wouldn't make it. How are you feeling about this one? 163. Do you think it's like got a lot of potential? I just feel like we've really gone too far. <laughs> when, when will it end? That's that's what I keep asking. Let's just un, let's undo them all and just start fresh at one. We can be like, hello. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the last episode of the Dive Down Magic the Gathering podcast <laughs> that Stan has had it with. He's ha- up to here. He's headed up to here. Not enough Arc Light Phoenix conversation. Since about episode 20. Yeah. There's this really great episode of the comedy Bang Bang television show from the IFC network where it's like, it's from season one or two, but it's like they pre-recorded the final episode of the show and it's set in the future. And it's actually one of the funniest episodes of that whole series. And I wonder if we can just steal that idea and the concept of a future episode being this is the last episode of the dive down that we've pre-recorded for one day. <laughs> we could take it a different way though. And I could show up in a, in a flying car with a Mr. Fusion in the back and go, Stan, it's your kids. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good Doc Brown impression. Wasn't bad. Stan. <laughs> On this week's episode, we're going to be honest with all of you listeners, friends, and fans. It's been a real week for a lot of existential and external reasons. Yeah. Because of the world. It's poopy out there. It's sad. It's frustrating and scary and just plain poopy. Yeah, that almost sounds dismissive, right? Like it's 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 like oh hey it's it's a real pooper out there but because a lot of people are very immediately affected by all sorts of stuff yeah I mean let's talk about it this week we were really um, shocked by two pieces of local and international news first there was some really disheartening for us news out of Texas that we strongly disagreed with and and you know without getting to the specifics it was just the first. P- punch in the gut domestically. And then there was some really sad, shocking news out of Ukraine where I was born and still have family. And we were just not necessarily in the mental state to be super like gung-ho and focused on making a super topical episode of the dive down. Our priorities were elsewhere. Not to mention smaller things going on with each each of us in certain ways. And also, you know, Stan is the real muscle behind the show. So when he's not on his A game, then we, we kind of, none of us know what to do. So... Yeah, I think that's fair. So what's funny is even like an off week for us is what, 10 pages of notes? <laughs> so Written in the last two hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we got there. Um, but I mean, ultimately, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's important for us to realize that the podcast is what it is, what it is for us and for everyone else. So it's, on one hand, it's like for me, I'm I think about, hey, isn't it great to give someone a distraction or give someone like a moment of levity or something to think about that's not all the bad news in the world? And and then on the other hand, then it's like, well, we can't just live in and ignore and pretend we're ignoring that these things aren't happening around us, right? And I think we continually have to and try to split the uprights on that. And I think this is one of those weeks where hopefully we got that 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 field goal in between there. Yeah. And also I think that this week, because of, we just needed the show to be a little something different for us this week. And so this one is for us. And by being for us, it's for you, right? We just wanted to think about, we really need magic to be a good escape this week. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the ways that magic is a good positive escape for us. The things that we've been enjoying 
uh, in magic and maybe in our lives if we have time. And on top of that, because this episode is so different and candidly, it's a little underprepared, we wanted to make it a little bit more meaningful and a little bit more positive in terms of its impact on all the current events that we are so affected by right now. So the proceeds from this episode are going to a couple organizations that we are really fond of and we think can help make an impact on making the world a little bit of a better place, at least in our opinions. So for that reason, we're going to donate the proceeds from this episode to the Trans Lifeline here in the United States, which is a nonprofit peer support crisis hotline for transgender people. I know that it operates in the United States. I believe it also operates in Canada. And we are also supporting the United Nations Refugee Agency because of the work they're doing for people in Ukraine who are being displaced by the conflict there. And we hope that this small token of our you know, appreciation for these two organizations can hopefully mean something to the people who are positively impacted by it, and as well as the people of the show whose Patreon support makes it possible for us to make these types of org- donations as an organization, in part in your name. So thank you very much for your support and making this possible for us, and we are really glad that we're in a position that we get to make these types of donations to organizations that we think do great work for the world. Right on. But first, some housekeeping. Everybody's favorite part of the show. After that, let's get on to Stan's favorite part. It's housekeeping. Look, it's not going to be a dour episode. I'm happy to be here with Shane and Dave. I'm excited to talk about magic and maybe some other stuff. And I'm really excited to thank a couple new patrons to join the Dive Down Nation. We got Hayden B. and Jan C. Hayden is paying us in Canadian dollars and Jan is paying us in Euro dollars. I heard those are almost as good as American dollars. Almost. Euro dollars. Maybe better. I don't even know. I don't know finance. (laughs) We have uh, no increased tiers this week, but hey, just as a reminder, let's say you're sitting there at like a buck a week and you're like, well, I want to get some more stuff. I want to like, what do I get if I give more money or you're not yet a patron out there and you're like, well, what's the point? Why would I want to do this? So uh, at $3 and $5, you start getting some cool stuff like tokens. You start getting stickers and pins. You get access to the episode earlier at the $5 tier. $5 is also the deck box tier. So those should be here within a few months, which will be dope. And so just actually, it's probably closer to six weeks, I oh think, is what we're it's looking April, at. Right? It's, it's four to six weeks is my is my hope that's when i will start thinking it's possible i think mid-april is when is when we're realistically looking like they might show up and i don't know there's like what a thousand of that these things showing up in my house that i'm gonna have to find space for in my basement somewhere so oh my gosh they have minimum order quantities so patrons line up let's get these deck boxes i'm gonna be giving these things out as like party favors stocking stuffers you can't you can't flood the market you can't flood the market (laughs) with this stuff this is these are patreon exclusive deck boxes and by joining at the five dollar tier you can get them we're going to talk about refresh rates and stuff like that and you know what when we send these things out there might even be some surprises in those packages as a thank you to all of you for being so patient with us in doing this work yeah more dave flexing tokens as an elemental so if you want to join the patreon help keep us going uh, patreon.com slash the dive down and you can sign up there we appreciate all of you who have been with us for so long and any new folks who want to join yeah and it's shane said 
you want to find us, you know where to find us for Patreon. If you'd like to support us while you're playing Magic, you can go to ManaTraders.com. ManaTraders is the place that we rent Magic online cards from. We love them. It's been three years almost since I started, well, more than three years since I started using ManaTraders. I've always loved the service. I think it's totally worth the time, the money, the attention. They have great tournaments. So as you guys know, I've I've been fortunate enough to play in some of these Mana Traders tournaments. Not lucky enough to do particularly well in any of them. Same. But have you played in an MT Swiss? Yeah. Okay. So you know how, regardless of how you finish, in my case, I finished 93rd place in the Legacy Tournament, you still get $10 of Mana Traders credit. Cannot be redeemed for cash, but it just kind of sits in your Mana Traders account. I finally found a use for it. I needed to rent a modern deck that had... A bunch of Ragavans and Renin Sixes, so it was outside of the rental limit. And I was able to expand my rental limit temporarily by using that credit. Yeah, that's a nice thing that they oh, do nice. there for sure, where you can bump it up for 48 hours, 96 hours, something like that. But Sam, that's a great point to be able to bump that up a little bit. I mean, that's one thing that's nice about Mana Traders too, is that if you sign up for a smaller one, Right, like a like if you go for the gold level, and for some reason you want to play a deck with a bunch of ragavans and run a, run sixes in it for a weekend, you can do yeah, it. Yeah, not sure why you would. I wouldn't recommend it. No, they're terrible maybe. cards. We don't need them. But yeah, Mana Traders is great. We love them. If you would like to be so kind and try out Mana Traders, you can use our code, the Dive Down Twenty Twenty Two, to get fifteen percent off your first two months of rental cards from Mana Traders, and we will be forever grateful for that as a way to support the show. Uh, Manatraders.com. All right, so before we get on to other topics, let's talk about one of the things that we do love doing every week and requires a certain amount of preparation, but we understand what the preparation is before we step in, unlike deck dives, and that is let's talk about some modern tournaments that happen this weekend. <laughs> oh, please, my favorite. First one. So there was a Magic Online Champions Showcase this weekend, better known as the Mox. As you know, Magic Online has a quarterly tournament, I think. These Moxes are quarterly with the best uh, players, kind of like the highest placing players from a number of different venues. They're people who have won Opens, people who have won Qualifiers, people who are the tops of the leaderboards. They go into an eight-player tournament every once in a while where they play for a prize per purse of $20,000 dollars and um so not euros or canadian not dollars. euros in this case and uh they they this time they did a split tournament where it was modern and vintage cube were the two formats and so we have an cool. interesting little group of eight decks for people that um, what some high high level players decided to bring to a small field tournament for modern Right on. Yeah. So this, if you remember, I mean, what this happens, is this twice a year? Cause I feel like we talked about this. I think not, it's quarterly. Okay. Is it only twice a year? I think it's quarterly. Yeah, it probably is. So like, it's like the four people who won showcase qualifiers, there's two mocks opens winners and two top players of the leaderboards. I don't really know what the leaderboards are, but yeah, like you said, Dave, we get eight people playing for 20 grand. What's weird about this is it's basically an eight person pod. And then whoever wins the limited pod is in the finals. Whoever wins the modern pod, in this case, is in the finals. And those two people go up against each other. In a finals. In the finals. So we'll, let's first talk about the decks people brought and then talk about what happened. Well, and this, this group of eight people, it's an absolute murderer's row of people who play on, on Magic Online. It's Canister. It's Tangrams, uh, David Ingram. It's Bob49, who everybody knows who the, is the Belcher guy, Nathan Stoyer, 
Zerk, MTGO, then Beekeeper, Stanerson, Binu. Those are the eight people. I believe I named them all in a random order, different than my list for some reason, just to make it hard on myself. And um, But those are uh, t- players that we talk about all the time as being at the tops of challenges, being in 5-0 deck dumps, being in the showcase challenges. These are some of the best of the best. And what did they bring? Well, they brought, out of this top eight, there were two Grixis Death Shadow decks, a Mill deck, a Belcher deck, four-color Blink, Teamer Footfalls, Blue-White Hammer, and Red-White Prowess were they eight decks. So what do you think about that spread as what people decided to bring to this eight-person tournament? Well, that's a good question. So like the the main thing that we see is there are, what, seven different decks? Because the only overlap is a couple Grixis Shadow. And then we have some of the staples of the format. Four-color blank, Teamer Footfalls, the now fairly standard Azorius Hammer, uh, Belcher and weirdly Demir Mill, which is just sort of hanging out there. This is it's interesting one too because this is a Demir build, right? Rather than kind of the newer uh, Azorius Mill that's been somewhat popular. Yeah, I mean, I would think looking at this list that I would think that the Mill player was maybe expecting more hammer. Would be my guess. Now, I don't know a ton about Bnu if they are a Mill player generally, and that's just kind of like they they went with what they went with. But it made me feel a little bit like that deck maybe ended up being selected because of a metagame choice against Hammer. Another thing that happened in a couple of cases is a bunch of the decks, namely the Grixis Shadow, the two Grixis decks, and the Mill deck, were also running a card called Mind Grind in the side, which is a card that mills until you reach a certain number of lands being revealed. So it's basically a three-mana kill against Belcher, <laughs> which... Because they knew since Bob 49 was in this <laughs> tournament that there would be at least one person playing Belcher. Yeah, no way, Bob. We're going to mind grind you. Exactly. I mean, for me, the big thing here is just an indication that people still love Grixis Shadow. And I think that there's even more of that throughout the weekend. But Grixis is kind of the de facto best deck in modern right now. Prove me wrong. I feel like this is the tournament where you are going to have multiple people just playing GDS because I think it's just the deck that people think they have the most play with. Like it's sort of like this perfect combination of like agency, efficiency, and flexibility. And I can get more into that for sure, but I want to get, Stan, what's your thought on, on Dave's question? I just think that this is a pretty predictable metagame, except for maybe like if Amulet was here, no one would be surprised, and that kind of feels like it's missing, and maybe Prowess and Mill almost feel like surprise additions, but even that, these are decks that we know to be good in the format, and the fact that even Footfalls continues to keep up in this type of environment, or at least Footfalls is a good enough deck that Sean Goddard wanted to run it in this type of environment, I think also maybe speaks to how perhaps underappreciated that deck is right now. In my personal opinion, Footfalls is pretty good against Shadow, and I wonder if maybe Sean anticipated more Shadow in the event, and that's why they brought that deck, too. I just, because you asked, Dave, like, is GDS kind of like just the go-to best deck? I kind of want to break this down a little bit, because I find the topic of GDS pretty fascinating, because it's sort of, it really lines up across my entire history of the format of playing this format is is very soon after I got into modern Death Shadow appeared on the scene and became a thing, and it has sort of waxed and waned in popularity and in power level. And I think right now it's back to where it was 
you know, in 20, what, 15, 2016 ish era, but in a very different way, which I think is cool because it, it does, it's, it does what it does in, because of similar reasons. But I think what it does now, it, it doesn't have like the counter magic suite of stubborn denial, but it gets access to drown in the lock. And I guess what's, what's really wild about this deck now is it's hyper efficient. Like half the deck is zero or one mana. Less than a quarter of it is like two mana, and the rest are lands, right? And f- you get these wild, efficient threats like DRC and Ragavan and Death Shadow, all at one mana. And Kroxa and Turok are doing something valuable at two mana, and then something even better at four mana. So you get like mana flexibility, and then you just get the same cheap, awesome spells that you've had access to for years, and then some new stuff, right? Like Thoughtseize and IOK, which do do, like double duty, which is like they buy you time against basically anything, and they can effectively do the early locking down of combo decks until you get to like your Drown the Locks and things like that. And Expressive Iteration, we know, is like a two-mana divination and Unholy Heat and whatever one-mana interaction you want and Dress Down gives you a combo and stops your opponent's creatures abilities. And I think drown the lock is weirdly underrated still as counter magic and creature interaction at two mana. And, and so you get all of this incredibly powerful and flexible cards and creatures and spells at two mana and less. And so like, if you had to ask, if you had to ask me, I guess, like if you're gonna pay, if you're gonna play one deck in modern and get rid of everything else and just like you want the most flexible game plan, like I just don't know why you pick anything else besides Death Shadow. Because like I think I do think other decks have better upsides or better high rolls, but like this is the floor of this deck is just so high. Yeah. I mean I think this is the this is the player's deck in my mind like this is a deck that i always feel worried about picking up because i'm like if i'm not on my game like playing with death shadow is just gonna be a slog but if i've been playing a lot of magic and i feel like the format's at a spot where i really know a lot of the decks then defaulting back to death shadow which i spent some time with at different points in time is a good strategy i think because it really rewards your meta knowledge and also it has a lot of flexibility like you said it just has the most efficient card so i'm really curious to see where it goes from here because it does seem like it's just picking up and picking up and picking up and we even heard today that the ptq that ran today or was it the challenge itself that ended up with four the top four was all great super super qualifier so it's like the ptq which is the PTQ. Yeah, so there was a Magic Online PTQ today where half of the top eight was Grace's Dash, Shadow, and all of those decks advanced to the top four. So it's going to be everywhere. Yeah. Stan, you, you were saying that like you think something like Rhinos has good game against GDS, but like, do you think like the high rolls of Rhinos, let's say just in a, in a, in a metagame that's not 50% GDS or something like that, like, I know that you're, you're, you're a fan of something like Rhinos, you're a fan of something like Merktide, do those decks have better upside than something like GDS? Like, do you like what? Do you, what would make you pick a different deck than GDS if you were like, just say, like the the bog standard awesome modern grinder that's in this tournament? Because I think that although Shadow is obviously an excellent deck and one of the formats best, I don't think it's the objective singular best deck. And I think that something we touch on occasionally in the dive down is. There's the best deck, and then there's the best deck for you. And 
the reason I wouldn't pick up Shadows, I don't think it's that fun to play. And I think there's other similar decks that run Ragavan and Expressive Iteration that are more fun, that don't require running Thoughtseize or, or so bad Mark black Tide cards. Is what you're talking about? <laughs> You'd rather play Mark, Mark Tide? Tide? Maybe a deck with Tarmogoyce. I don't know, but... Yeah, I, I know we talk a lot about, like everyone talks a lot about Aspiring Spike because he's just like the person you can see play the most modern in the world, probably. Uh, but this is like such a Spike deck because it's it's all about the massive amounts of value you can make on good decisions. Right, and, and I actually think that that is a really important point to echo what Dave kind of hinted at, at. You know, this is a player's deck. I think this is the type of deck that people like Corey Bellmeister and other really high-level competitors will turn to because it will reward their high skill level. And it's maybe operating in the same space that like control historically has for this very same reason, where obviously the deck is good, but maybe if everyone is playing it, it wouldn't necessarily have such a high win percentage, or maybe the conversion rate is only high for like the best of the best because every single turn has a very diverse decision tree where you have to decide like whether you're leading with hand disruption or a Ragavan or a Dragon Rage Channeler and every single choice you make can kind of waterfall or spiral out of control. Yeah. And I think for that reason, maybe to re-answer your previous question is because why someone might not pick up shadows because there are other decks that are just as good that maybe are even a little easier to play. However, let's talk about the secret archetype that's really dominating this top eight, and that is Luris decks. Five of these decks are Luris decks. Grixis Death Shadow is two, Hammer is one, Demir Mill is one, and Prowess is also a Luris deck. Maybe Grixis Death Shadow is just the best Luris deck, and that's also part of the reason that it's really starting to take over the, envir- the, the environment a little bit as well. People kept saying that about Hammer, though. So I think that there's, there is no best Luris deck. Well, it's deck. not. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there's like, all the Luris decks are good. Well, they're not all good. I mean, I've, I've brewed some bad ones. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to play Auras in Modern, you know what I mean, with Luris, but... But it's called Bogles, um, and maybe you should try Bogles. I mean, maybe it's not the worst thing here. Uh, yeah, but I do think having five of people, five of the people who are doing this, decide that they had to bring Luris to a small field like this is another interesting kind of layer on top of this analysis. Uh, I don't want to open the Luris can of worms again or the Nightmare Cave or wherever Luris <laughs> lives, but we'll, um, you know, maybe we're going to do another episode on that coming up sometime soon. It could be worth it. Let's, I want to quickly talk about uh, Thomas Ashton's or Stanerson's Boros Prowess list. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if this is like a meta call or something like they considered just to be the best deck for the tournament. But you know, running, basically, it's a red Prowess deck that Stanerson did, uh, did a heavy white splashing. There's like 14 ac- uh, white sources here. Getting access to Luris, getting access to main deck Path, which is kind of a, a novel inclusion these days. And some sideboard options like Prismatic Ending and Core Firewalker, Hushbringer, Wear Terror, uh, which are all smart and valuable pieces of, of, of interaction, of course, and just and value on the board and protection on the board, things like that. But what I like about this build is we're seeing just the full play sets of Reckless Impulse, light up the stage, gets you a bunch of spells that synergizes with your both your prowess creatures and Dragon's Rage Channeler and you know, if if you're just keeping the ground clear with all of your interaction and casting a bunch of spells, you're just gonna bash in quickly and hopefully get the opponent deck dead, right? Yeah. So you guys know I love prowess. Yes. I would p- play prowess all the time. I do not like this version of prowess right now in this 
metagame. But I will say, so I was thinking about why someone would pick up this deck to bring it to a small field like this at this level of play, especially because I went back and looked at um, Stanerson's resume on, on Goldfish to see what kind of decks they tended to play. And they, they don't have a particular bent towards aggro decks. Not a big prowess fan from what I can tell from the decks that they, they've 5-0'd with or done well in challenges with and things like that. I know Stanerson, as a player, I wasn't sure what their profile generally was. They don't look like they specialize in anything in particular to me. But uh, I could be wrong about that, so tweet at us if I'm wrong. I think that this deck is something that someone brought because they thought that it was going to be good against Shadow. That's my my guess. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, I think that this build of prowess is only good if Lava Dart is good. Mm. Okay, And like most prowess decks with this particular bent, that's true. Like Lava Dart needs to be getting you multiple cards of value to make up for other ways. You know, other people have great card draw. You have reckless impulse and light up the stage, but Lava Dart is the way that you really get your two for one to get your triggers going and things like that. Now, if you're going to see a lot of Dragon's Rage Channeler and Ragavan, then I think that Lava Dart can be pretty good. But the problem is if you get into the mid game, I think that it gets a lot worse. And that's why I think Thomas would pack path to exile here is to help get through those death shadows at different points in time and also be a little bit of an out in case someone is packing murktide or primeval titan for that matter because prismatic ending's not very good against those kind of decks and so you know i haven't found this particular build great but i think that that might have been the meta choice that was that was going on here was i think that they you know thinking that they could get through death shadow with this and you know I, I don't think it worked since one of the death shadow players went 3-0 but if you look at this field oh the other thing is that lava dart is probably pretty good against hammer right at different different points in time depending on when you fire off your darts and so you know i could see that that thinking coming through here too but i generally prefer the slightly bigger one now that goes for the mana denial blood moon main kind of strategy over over this but i don't think that deck would have been good in this field either I worry, though, that Lava Dart misses some of the most important creatures in Hammer. Well, yeah. That's the problem, is that it's it's okay, but not great against it. Yeah. Path to Exile is certainly a card that you can have as an out against Hammer as well, if you need it. It but, is certainly a card. You know. Yeah. You could also just play Seismic Assault against Hammer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll talk about that some other time. Um, like I said, if there was any time that... that, that prowess was good in modern i would want to be playing it but i haven't had a lot of luck with this deck in the queues i will say this this deck also or a list very close to it top aided that same ptq as all the grixis death shadows decks did as well what are your thoughts about some of these other selections we got like mill and belcher and azorius hammer and four colored blink anything well canister has been playing four color blink like crazy lately so i don't think we should be surprised that that's the deck he chose to bring to the tournament and then Azorius Hammer, you know, there's got to be one person on Hammer, so I think that it makes sense. Still interesting that um, that uh, Reality Chip has made such a big, big splash in that deck. But I think the more you think about it, the more you just realize you get to play like five cards a turn off of it if you hit a, a run with not a lot of lands. And so, yeah. why not? Yeah, this player is up to two copies main. Yeah, I was surprised by that too. That's a lot. Along with a pair of Core Outfitter, which I think is actually... Core Outfitter plus Reality Chip is a really nice wombo combo. Love Core Outfitter. Yeah, you do always like Core Outfitter on these lists. It's true. <laughs> you need you need those extra free equip things. I, I totally so. get it. So yeah, it's just it's you're always stretched for those last like four or five slots. So in the end, let's just tie a bow on this one. Uh, Nathan Stoyer three o the limited section, and then three o the modern section. 
And if you were paying attention earlier, that means he was the finalist for both halves, which means he won by default because he cannot play himself. Cool. So it's a little bit anticlimactic, but when you uh, when you three o both pods, you just get to win. So congratulations, Nathan. Uh, they have been absolutely killing it. It seems like lately. It's, uh, Nathan's third appearance in a row in the mocks is my oh understanding. That's the headline on on Magic or whatever that website is. So yeah, congratulations. Yeah, they they tweeted that they um, had like taken time off from school. They took this. Sc- quarter off i guess to focus on magic if i understood yeah, I the tweet correctly and it's just this obviously that's not something we're encouraging anyone to do but i think it's <laughs> what what's interesting is that it's just further confirmation that you can improve and see better results in magic when it becomes a priority of yours to put the work in to get better and in some cases you qualify to the pts if you put that work in and kind of treat it as a as a job and a priority you know, if you've got the talent and the time and the ability, quit your job. You know, you too. You're only young once. Drop out of school. That's, that's what I'm going to say. You're only going to get to do this kind of that's, stuff one I time mean, in your life. So, like, cool. go ahead and do it, man. I don't. It's astonishingly fine. true. Think, astonishingly true. Go back to when it's time to go back and you know do the non-grinder life or whatever. But like, why not? There's, there's never going to be a time in your life where they're not going to take your money to go get some education. Okay. No one's going to ask you why you took a quarter off school on your resume. All right, let's go into Saturday's Modern Challenge, um, 116 players. We had a top 32 breakdown, of course, from unofficial fourth correspondent host, Bamzing. Breakdown looks like the seven white-based hammer decks. There's four Azorius, still seeing the usual hammer stuff for like the last five cards don't really matter. We got like Core Outfitter in some, uh, one to two reality chips, ginger brute sometimes, lion sash sometimes, steel shaper's gift. You just you just season that deck to taste. Got a couple Esper variations. They have reality chip and thoughtsies in the main to take advantage of the Esper mana sideboard using the Azorius stuff like Lavinia, Meddling Mage, and some more thoughtseizes, of course. And then Crusherbot in ninth place as our highest finishing uh, hammer deck, doing their own thing, of course. They have mono white. Uh, mana tithe and defense grid and march of otherworldly light in the sideboard on thin ice in the sideboard uh after the seven Mm-mm. we got to talk about crusher bot for a minute you may not remember but crusher bot as you said well known for doing different things with their with their deck the main thing that crusher bot is known for doing with hammer is not playing Luris in in hammer yeah and like playing three drops stuff yeah, swords, nettlesis, stuff like that. And this week, however, is the first time that Crusher Bot played Luris recently in the in the list, and it was leading to a lot of people saying, more proof we should ban Luris. <laughs> Notably, uh, Ari Lax was talking about it on Twitter today, saying that that was the biggest reason they had seen, <laughs> he had seen to not this is to the ban straw. Luris. Crusher is Crusher Bot, Bot picking it up. Playing Luris is a straw that broke Camel's back on Luris. Yep. The, yep. the Nightmare Cat's back. All right, well, keep, yeah, keep an eye on Crusher about what they choose to do in the future. We, um, we had five Grixis Shadow decks. We just talked a ton about that. We have three Azorius-based control decks. So these are essentially just Azorius control. Two have had really light splashes into red. I guess looked like it just enabling the fire side of fire and ice. Not really anything else. No, like lightning bolts or anything like that. No helixes or lightning no. bolts, huh? And then two of these three decks... Are you ready to eat crow? Or are you no, gonna I'm eat, not. No, this is not. This is not crow eating. Uh, two of these three decks were also playing new 
modern tier S staple wandering emperor. Uh, one was playing one copy. The other is playing two copies. So you know what? This is just this, the modern has entered a, a new era. It's the wandering emperor's world. I'm just living in it. Yeah. I just want to point out I'm wearing a hat this week and Stan is wearing a hat this week, but Shane is not wearing a hat because he already ate it before I he got, ate, a, I ate my hat. Got, got a camera today. Wow, yeah, Shane, for a card that you said was not I don't, did not have a chance. A lot of people were trying it. I didn't say this doesn't have a chance. I don't think I mean like this is this is this is a one and a two testing period. We'll see how long it how long it lasts, if it goes up, if it goes down, if it you know, what what happens. I opened one in a box this weekend and I was thrilled to get one. So I'm glad. What did it was it fancy? Was it like shiny? I did not get the fancy was it one. Anime? I did, no, I just got a normal one, which is fine. I just wanted one. So. Okay. And have, have Stan, you like you like this card? Have you seen it in action at all? I haven't, and I haven't had the chance to play with it either. I haven't really tried to yet. Kind yeah. of seeing where it checks out, in part because I kind of want to build around it, and you know, brewing and testing and iterating takes so much time. So and much time. There's just other things that I was interested in spending that mental energy on. Let's but. do a Dovin Bond Wandering Emperor deck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a flash speed planeswalker. How bad could it be? It's four it's mana. A, that's that's it, right. It's removal. It makes threats. Let's Cha-ching. talk about the two ofs. Let's talk about these two ofs. We got Amulet Titan, four color blink. Is it Murktide? Living End. Those are all decks you know. And then we do have two humans copies in this top 32. And these are, interestingly, kind of the old looking human decks. Like none of that sort of Thalia's Lieutenant combo strategy we talked about last week, like taking advantage of Abzan Falconer and that other, the red one, the red two drop that gets gigantic for each modified creature. Is it modified? Is that the keyword? Interestingly, Ronjusu in 28th place didn't even run Aether Vial. They were playing Collective Company. And then what I do like, though, is Adeline Resplendent, Resplendent Cathar and Turok Dread Cantor are basically fixtures in humans as two or three ofs in these decks because cool cards. And then a bunch of one ofs that I don't really want to get into. But interestingly, there's no Belcher. But really, a lot of the other top tiers of the format are around in some way, shape, or form especially so much Hammer, so much Grixis Shadow. Great. All right, so what did the top eight look like? Yeah, top eight, let's run through this. Genara 19 on GDS featuring Luris. Big JC 00 on Amulet Titan. Uh, Nazart on Orzov Griefblade. So no, this deck is not good, but I will tell you about it. It's an Orzov Blink deck with some classic staples like Blade Splicer if you want to play a three-mana 1-1 that comes along with a 3-3 Golem token. Um, it gets first strike. It gets first strike if you have a blade splicer on the board. There's a few charming prints for you know value blink. There's the expected sort of grief, solitude, stoneforge, mystic, and then maybe another a couple other blinky style targets like shriek maw in there. There are some new equipment creature targets in there like blade of the oni, which we did talk about having potential in our spoiler episode. Lion sash along with kind of the usual suspects like batter skull, cauldra, mall of the skyclaves and sort of fire and ice. There's a lot of blink spells in here. Ephemerate, Malakir rebirth, undying evil, touch of the spirit realm, four of. This is a two and a white enchantment and when it ETBs you exile an, an artifact or creature until it leaves the battlefield. You can channel it for one and a white. You discard it, touch the spirit realm, and channel it, exile target artifact or creature, and then return it to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step. So it's just a more expensive, well, it's a less expensive, I guess, like Flicker Wisp effect, but you don't get a 3-1 flyer. Right, so it's it's Cloud Shift, basically. It's like the it's one, one half of Ephemerate, but for channel cost. But the thing that's nice is that you get to run this as a removal spell. 
Yes. Both halves are expensive, right? Like they're more expensive than what the rate should really be because, you know, the front half is journey to nowhere, basically, but for one journey more Journey to nowhere effect. Yeah, exactly. This is journey to nowhere effect, if I remember right. It might be closer to Oblivion Ring, but like whatever. And then channel is, uh, you know, the channel effect is expensive because I think that the card that is exile and bring it back in is cloud shift. And that's a that's just a single white, if I remember right. So both of these are expensive, but I was surprised when I saw this too. I will say I, I was playing some sealed with Stan over the weekend over the weekend and I looked at this card a couple of times and was like, oh, they made a card that was this plus that. I was like, that's pretty interesting. I wonder if people would would ever want to do that, but um it seems did. too expensive. And someone did. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, interesting. I mean, it even has like reanimator stuff, like three persist and a Takanuma abandoned mire, which is three in a black channel land to mill three cards and then return a creature or walker from the graveyard to your hand. Like, this is just one of those decks where it feels like stuff really has to line up well. Like, the spells you draw versus the creatures you draw versus the opportunity you have to play those creatures. But, you know, they came in third place, and I sure didn't. So, if this is, like, your style of thing, then check it out. I would say if you like Eldrazi and Taxes in the past, that's what this deck feels the most like to me in some ways, is that old kind of, like, black-white, tricky deck. Now, it doesn't have Aether Vile, it doesn't have Eldrazi. But having that ephemerate combo plus some of these cards feels like it could be in that same space to me. All right, blowing through the last of this top eight, we've got Gideon Ravensword and Teamer Footfalls. Onlylands.com, my favorite place to get free real estate on four-color <laughs> featuring Yorian, uh, <laughs> featuring modern staple Coiling Oracle as well. Uh, Adebevois on Grix's Shadow featuring Luris. Getting really wild with their deck construction, a single main deck Fatal Push. Getting that in there. Uh, Giggy on Is It Merktide with a couple of main deck Fury, which I know isn't completely out of left field these days. And then Selesniel on Four Color Blink featuring Yorian. And then, okay, I guess before I breeze through to that modern super qualifier top eight we got from Bamzing right before we recorded, any thoughts on this? This kind of seems like modern as we know it right now, besides the Grief Blade. Well, you know what? The Grief Blade, I think, is also kind of interesting in that even though we have a very top heavy metagame there's still room to iterate and experiment with new cards and good modern horizons two cards it's like you, as long as you're playing the mh2 cards you can maybe try out some other new cards and see what happens <laughs> i mean maybe like nazart is if you talk to them they'd be like look blade of the oni best card out of the set and we'll just see blade of the oni become a real thing so who knows but as dave mentioned right before we got recording and got the modern super qualifier results tweeted out by Bam saying, and it looks like this. And I, I think some of these are their Twitter handles, so bear with me. Grixis Shadow featuring Luris by Sokos13. Grixis Shadow featuring Luris by Ajis Aziz. Grixis Shadow featuring Luris by Z23MTG. Grixis Shadow featuring Luris by Corey Baumeister. Sounds familiar. Fifth place, we have Boros Prowess featuring Luris by Zhao Hong Chen. And sixth place, we have a non-Luris deck, weird, uh, Amulet Titan by Mistaken One. I'm surprised they haven't jammed Amulet or haven't jammed Luris into that deck yet. Yeah, weird. This is, they gotta figure that out. Just cut cut those expensive creatures out of there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Seventh place, Golgari Yogmoth by Zerk MTGO, and eighth place, Four Color Creativity by The Fern. So GDS top four of the top eight. Yeah, people are already saying, like, this is why we need to get rid of Luris. And and I think in smaller letters, Ragavan, but Luris seems to be taking the, the brunt of the heat 
how bad is this deck without Luris, though? I mean, it definitely loses a big step. I wonder that. It's a good amount. I would say it's a good amount worse compared to the rest of the metagame, but I think it'd be so hard for us to make a good prediction on what the metagame would look like without Luris that it's it's tough to speculate on. Um, The player known as Aegis Sazes, they tweeted about their run saying that they encountered a lot of diversity throughout the Swiss, and it wasn't until the top that they had to play their first mirror match. And I, just reading way too far into that, but maybe just trying to take a little thought experiment, I wonder if part of Modern's diversity is is perhaps responsible for things like this happening in tournaments, like we're seeing online right now, where people are perhaps more focused with experimentation than they are with attacking specific elements of the metagame. And rather than like saying, everyone's playing GDS, we have to take us down a notch and like start running more Blood Moons or other good cards against GDS. They're just saying, like, oh, well, I can experiment as long as I have MH2 cards. I can maybe find something else that's unique and different and interesting. And as a result, they're getting punished by some of these more tuned strategies. I think it's possible. I mean, I think the other thing that happens a lot on Magic Online, too, is that the wheel kind of turns a little bit where we'll have these moments where everybody is playing Hammer and then seemingly inexplicably hammer stops being stops being at the top of the metagame and then the next three weeks are all of a sudden all about grace's death shadow and then like two weeks later it's all of a sudden like okay we're not going to do that anymore so i think that's definitely possible here but i don't think anybody could be surprised by the fact that there's been this consistent drumbeat over the past three or four weeks that gds is getting better gds is getting more played gds is placing more i mean we keep seeing soul what's that person soul strong strong who keeps killing it with grant with gds and then now everybody is picking it up you know remember what we said in the first section about who gds is for it's a player's deck this is the super qualifier this isn't just a random challenge these are people who had to spike a prelim or grind enough qps from leagues and i think this is one of those like self-correcting metagames too where the caliber of competition is so high that to to kind of echo where we started like this is the type of format where people can exercise their skill and knowledge, and maybe that's why they gravitate to a deck that can reward them for for having that upper hand over kind of like an average player base. Yeah, I mean, the thing that's really remarkable about this, too, is that seven Hammer decks were in the top 32, and none of them converted to top eight. And only five Grixis Shadow decks were in the top 32, and four of them converted to top eight. So it's it's interesting to see that kind of happen as well. Not sure what happened all the time. I mean, a lot of it's variants, but it's interesting. It's interesting to see when stuff like that happens. All right, so because we're talking about things that we love for Magic this week, or we enjoy for Magic this week, can I get two minutes of something that I love from both of you? Which is, does Luris need to be banned? Off the cuff reaction. I don't want a long long thing. Are you interested in that discussion? Do you think it's worth talking? Let Let's say this. I don't want a yes or no answer. I just want to know if you think it's worth discussing banning Luris or not. Do you mean on this podcast or no, as a community? Generally as a community. I, I mean, I'll just get back to what we said said many times, which is like I think we'd see more different kinds of decks and more different cards being played, and I'm more interested in that than I am anything. I'm more interested in that than like iterating and like you know, getting into the weeds on how good is Luris? Is Luris really a game changer? I'm more interested in what Luris effect is on deck building. And people's ability to play a few more interesting cards, and I'm curious what the effect, that effect would be more than anything. Okay, I like that answer. Stan, what's your gut? My gut is yes and yes. 
not because it's making the metagame worse, but because it's just not making it as interesting as it perhaps could be. I, I think Shane really nailed it. I, I think the one of the arguments that I hear a lot that resonates with me is either give us more companions so that we can have a little bit of forced diversity or like don't force us living through this just lurus environment for years to come. Because it kind of yeah. feels like either we're going to be just doing this forever until it's banned or they'll give us more tools to play with in the, like that 15th slot of the sideboard. Cause that's what this is really about. Like what are we going to put in that last sideboard slot to make our decks interesting? And right now it seems to be Luris or Urian, but yeah, that's, that's a good point, Stan is I've, I've seen that as well. I think our buddy Zach Allen has mentioned that a few times and it's really like, yeah, it's, if it's a free extra card, Ultimately, you pay a higher tax for it now, but it's still just an extra card. And if you can run it, you're going to run it. So why not give us more interesting extra cards to give us other reasons to to build a deck around them? Yeah, it's it's a free extra card that defines your deck. So just give us new ways to define our decks to build around. Totally understand that argument. I think rhetorically speaking, it's extremely sound, right? I really don't want more executionally companions. very I, hard. I really don't want more companions, and so I think that as a result, yeah. you basically have to. I think I don't like them. Let's get rid of them. Let's yeah. get on. Let's get rid it's of them. Just stale. Like, it's just you know, stale. Like it does make right? it a little stale, and so yeah. uh, I don't know. Like, there's right a lot on. of things I like about modern right now, but I think bottom line for me is like someday that's gonna someday someday. That's all I have yeah. to say. Maybe it's this week. Maybe it's Maybe. by the time the show comes out. All right, we, we've it, had some, we've had some ups and downs in this in the breakdown segment about things we like, things we don't like as much. So let's head on out of here and get into the meat of the episode, where we talk about a lot of things we like, a lot of things we've been enjoying in modern and otherwise. So you guys ready for that? Yeah. First one on my list is Luris. Okay, so you all stay with us. Speaking of things we like, y'all, I got a new box of stuff from Will over at Barrister and Man. Of course, we have been having our ongoing partnership with him and his company, friend of the show, patron, citizen of the nation, Will. Uh, Got some new stuff. I got Waves, Aftershave, Splash, and the Shaving Soap. I got some that Pasa Flora that I told you about a few weeks ago. I got the Nordost Balm, the Castile Soap that you told me about, Stan. And mm-hmm. I am amped. I love... Okay, here's... This is... I'm going to sound like I'm just promoting this to promote this, but... Like, like a shill? Yeah, but when... Like, I opened the box, and, like, when I opened the box, I'm like, this is, like, legitimate great stuff. Like, it's packaged really awesomely. They have custom stickers that they like seal stuff with. The packaging is awesome. The labeling is awesome. It feels like you're getting a product that is well worth the small amount of money you pay for it. And I love that about it. Yeah. I, so I got a package this week too. And we haven't talked about this a ton, but like, you know, Will knows that I don't shave. I don't wet shave for sure. And so he sends me different stuff. And so I got a lot of soap. I got hand soap. I got bar soap. Great stuff. I mean, we put it immediately in our guest guest bathroom for people to use. We put one in our in our main bathroom. My wife was like, I love the, the packaging for this. Just like, I like the scent. We're using the fern hand soap in, in our bathroom. It smells great. The kids are like, why do I smell like plants? And we're like, because you deserve to smell like plants. Um, <laughs> the thing that I was going to say real quick is I looked at the invoice for the package because, you know, Will sends us stuff to test out. So I, I didn't pay for 
this particular group of stuff. And I was really surprised at the how affordable a box of five different That's kinds what I keep of saying. soap was coming from him. I think it's great product. Go check it out. Um, I don't know if we need to keep hitting it, but I, yeah. I the, the main reason I wanted to say it was because, like I said, Will knows that I don't shave and s- that much. And so he sends me other things like the beard oils and the hand soaps. And I think there's tons of different things for your house at Barrister, man, to check out. Yeah. I love the waves. I'm hyped to have gotten it. It's like a super light uh, aquatic smell. It's dope. The Passiflora is better than I imagined after talking about it last week. It's like, it smells like this sort of like strawberry and pine needle. And it's just like this wild combination, super dope. So yeah, um, head on over to Barrister and Man, M-A-N-N. Use the coupon code THEDIVEDOWN2022. Gets you 15% off your first order. Also lets Will know that our partnership is working. So yeah, check it out. And we are back. So even though, as I mentioned earlier, this episode is a little underprepared from what you may be used to, we do have a bit of an outline here. I know what my co-host and I wanted to touch on based on our experiences this week. And my eyes perked up when I saw Shane's main bullet regarding a format that I too have been dabbling with a little bit lately. I'm curious to hear what Shane has to say because... You ready? You ready for me to throw the gauntlet down? I okay. gotta tell you, I, I I gotta say, Stan, I think you're misreading Shane's note because I think I know what you're about to say, and I think you should read the rest of the sentence because he's no, saying. No, I'll just read. I'll just read the first two words. New standard, okay. and <laughs> that's not what that's not what Shane's talking about. Yeah, no, he knows. No, she, he knows. Shane's okay. playing with standard cards, and oh, uh, right. I've been I've been dabbling in the standard format. I I have heard. Uh, again, like I heard the limited format is dope. People are saying I'm going back to standard for the first time in a long while. Yeah. Well, it's just because historic and, and that other new one that they make alchemy are just like horrible. So like standard is kind of just the best constructed format on arena right now. So Stan, all right. So you totally, you totally hijacked what Shane was about to talk about, <laughs> Which I but love. I love this. Cause you and I were talking about this on Friday night when you were over at my, my place where we had lovely Mexican food and played some sealed, Talk about the why you're liking standard right now and how you found time in your life to be able to dabble around with it, given our other commitments to our listeners, et cetera. Yeah. And, and Shane, sorry to hijack. Not my intention. Um, and I don't even have that much to say about standard, except that I've been so unhappy with historic in general um, and alchemy. I find just so boring and I'm not interested in in engaging with these digital only cards that I needed something to get my dailies on arena so I can generate enough gold to play drafts essentially. And when I was looking at some of the top decks and standard that were craftable for me or even like uh, already crafted because of cards that I just happened to find in packs, I was able to play a couple different decks Jessica Hanata for one, Mono Black Control is another, a couple Is It Dragons decks, and it's just been really fun. And it's kind of scratching that arena itch in a way that I wasn't getting from, you know, historic as much as I used to in the past. Yeah, I mean, what's is standard is is it big right now? Like there's still a lot of sets in it, right? Is it a big big standard at the moment? It's it's medium standard. Okay. Yeah, the oldest set is uh not bad, return to Zendikar. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Wow. Yeah. Time flies. Hey, you know, I mean, 
I can't believe it's been almost two years since Ikoria came out, which is like crazy to think about about that. We've been living in Luris world for that long. I mean, when Stan told me this the other night, I was like, you've been what? <laughs> How do you find time? But, um, you know, what are some my of the toilet time? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's my sure. stand that's, time. That's the only time you get to hide from a kid. I understand. <laughs> I understand. When I, you know, not for too many details, but my son this morning, I came out of the bathroom and he's like, dad, why do you go in there and relax for ever before I see you? And I was like, I was only in there for like three minutes. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you were in there forever. <laughs> Gosh, I'm so glad my child can't speak. He can only like laugh and blow bubbles. Yeah, give it a little bit. They they develop attitudes and opinions about what you should be doing in Minecraft, and that's a real nightmare. My cat's but, paw at the door. <laughs> so standard is cool. I mean, some of the big cards I'm sure you're playing with in those mono black decks are like Meat Hook Massacre is the big one, right? Like I'm sure that everybody's oh, playing it, that. It, it's Lotleth, the Spider Queen. Oh, the Spider and, Queen. Okay, and Blood on the Snow, like. Those are my two favorite cards is like making spiders and casting these big black snow wraths. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. cool. Sweet. And then uh, the card that you mentioned from the Jeskai card from Hinata. From, yeah. That card is really crowd. cool. That's the card that is like a, is it like a four, four flyer, three, four flyer for four, like one generic and a Jeskai basically. Correct. And it makes your spells that have a target cost one generic less to per cast. target. Right. Correct. And it gives, Basically, all of your stuff ward one against any of your opponent's targeted spells. So yeah. the the main combo with Hanada yeah. is, is Magma Opus, where with enough targets, you Magma Opus is only cost two mana. Uh yeah. yes, yes, yes. That that I I think they talked about that on Dominaria's Judgment as like a particularly spicy meatball for decks that can take advantage of the the targeting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's fun. But all right, so, so standard. Yes, I, from standard, I think we're gonna grow here. Yeah, I'm going to take this a little different way. So from standard, I think that Stan mentioned mainly the reason that he started playing standard was because he wanted to get gold to be able to play draft and do his dailies and all those kind of things. Right. Right. So limited is pretty fun for this. And I've been since Stan encouraged me last week to play some limited. I also try to play limited on it. Now Stan has a lot more experience on it than I have. It's actually been pretty bad for me. I haven't won a lot of matches online, but I also haven't drafted in forever. Um, even are, you, after, are you drafting on Arena or on MTGO? I'm drafting on Arena, which, you know, I feel a little bit weirder out. But at the same time, every time I sit down in front of Magic Online, I'm like, I just want to play Pioneer or or Modern, you know, Modern 9 times out of 10, occasionally yeah. Pioneer. But why don't we talk a little bit about the limited format since you've been liking it so much? What do, what do you like a, like about it? Yeah, and I guess, I, don't, I actually can't remember if I said this last week, but I don't draft a ton. And my relationship with limited is that I'll try every set once and I'll draft it more aggressively if there's cards that I want. Mm-hmm. But so often I don't really care enough about standard sets to to want to draft. And this one, the flavor of the sets uh, and some of the specific cards maybe want to just like, you know, see see what I can do. And then it just resonated with me enough that I wanted to keep playing. Are there cool decks? Like are there archetypes, like draftable archetypes? Or is this kind of like just cool color combinations or... Yes and yes. Yeah, limited these days I think is very archetype based. I think that they've really rallied around this idea of signpost. You know, we're not going to get too deep into like Lords of Limited, uh, limited resources territory. But ever since about no, Dave, we're coming at them. We're coming yeah, for the exactly. throne. Yeah. Right now, we're going to steal all your down, podcast. Why should they have ten thousand patrons? 
Yeah, exactly. Well, but I was just going to say, ever since about Guilds of Ravnica, where they really got into this, like, we're going to print a cycle of gold cards in every set that tells you what you're supposed to do for the, all the various two-color archetypes, and that's ba they've basically stuck with that. I do feel like Limited has gotten much more synergistic archetype-based than it was in previous years, where you could really do more value-y kind of stuff. And so there's a lot of guidance on what those archetypes are supposed to do, what they're supposed to be. Like, they have themes that follow through. I think they do a good job, but it does feel a little bit like it's not on rails, like the way that, like, Ixalan or stuff like that was on, on rails kind My of sets of tribal sets. sets can be. But, well, they are <laughs> well, easier to draft. Yes. But... I mean, the last format, limited format that I actually liked and draft repeatedly was Strixhaven, which I would say was very on rails. And I actually think that Neon Dynasty is an interesting foil to that, where even though there are designed archetypes and there are these guideposts on commons, you can just build good decks with good cards that yeah. aren't necessarily about the preconceived archetypes that were designed into the, the limited environment. Yeah. Now, some of that, I think, is because it's a heavy artifact set as well. And there's also pretty aggressive fixing in the set with the, with the tap lands, which generally do a lot of, you know, the, the gain lands, and also a lot of artifacts that are pretty good at, at different points in the curve. And there's a couple of mana fixing artifacts that are pretty good as well, that Ecologist Terrarium and the Network, well, the Network portal terminal like those are both pretty good from from color fixing kind of point of view so you can do a lot of like splashing around for sure it seems like um stan you were telling me that you felt like the best two colors for you anyway were black and green though right yeah so they weren't so far and ahead better than everything else that you can't draft other colors and i don't know if you guys remember battle for zendikar limited where green was unplayably bad yeah, it was terrible that does not exist here, even though red is like maybe the worst color. You can still draft it and still have great decks. And and I, I should also mention, like, I have been listening to the limited podcast because of how much I like this format. So I I'm not trying to rip off anything that I heard on Sam Black show or Lords of Limited or LR, but I kind of agree with some of the things they've said based on my own experiences with them. And green has the most depth, basically. And and likewise, black just pairs really well with green as well as most other colors. So for that reason, it's it's kind of easy to either force green black in bot best of one bot drafts, or if you end up in green or black in a human draft, you just end up with a deck that can do a lot and can go long because the green creatures tend to be so huge, and they don't rely on like the really bad vehicles. Yeah, it's too bad because I I've really enjoyed drafting the vehicle stacks the first couple of times I've played. I think I've done three drafts so far. I did red white, uh, white blue and blue black i think and the blue black deck was a lot better than than the white decks unfortunately i, I keep feeling like white is open and the two there, it seems like there's a lot of powerful two drops there but like it didn't really turn into the right style of aggro deck to be good against these decks that can go bigger so yeah. so, so you mentioned two drops and I, I one of the things i really like about this format that i think is so interesting about its design is that one drops are great and I'm actively trying to draft as many of the good one drops as possible. And just most of them are uh, good at best or playable at worst. And I think that makes for a fun, for my money, limited environment where it's like you can just play really otherwise disposable cheap creatures. But in this case, because of how synergistic the set is, they 
are on plan and your one drops aren't even necessarily bad top decks later on. And sometimes the one drops are really good in your deck and just so bad in other decks that you can pass on these powerful cards early in, in a pack and then they end up wheeling and then it just all com- comes together in a beautiful way. So I think that's cool. Like your one, one for one that just like has the enchantment type ends up being super relevant though. You may not have thought that otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So maybe that's enough of us talking about our miners, although you can kind of hear like the stuff we've been enjoying outside of the core formats that we generally cover, which I think is nice. You know, we don't we don't often make the effort to do this kind of stuff. And I don't know if it's because of looking for a change of pace or just kind of a unique opportunity that's lent us to like try to have a look at things like Stan said and then because Stan said to check it out, then I checked it out, like that kind of stuff. But one other thing that I think is worth talking about is just Neon Dynasty has definitely had an impact on modern too, right? For sure, yeah. I'm I'm personally a little bit surprised that a standard set like this can still have what I feel like is a bigger impact than we expected and potentially in slightly different ways in, in even a format like modern. Because like MH2 was released eight months ago and it still feels like it's just what modern is about still. Like yeah. and with the power level of modern like a little standard set making a difference in the games that we're seeing and the decks that we're seeing is a little bit surprising, but I do feel like neon dynasty has perhaps surprisingly done that. And I, again, of course, everyone talks about spike a lot. And while I like spikes trophy race, and I think it gives a certain number of eyes and level of interest in the format, I'm, honestly happier seeing him be what i think he's even potentially better at than winning trophies and that's creating new decks with new cards and really giving cards their due and a chance to shine and i think he's not too quick to dismiss new ideas and he he will iterate on them because he just plays so much and one of the decks that i think is both totally spike in design and also totally good is this rakdos anvil deck that i he put together about a, a week ago i think and i think and he 5 would the first league he played with it i believe and of course the link for that will be in the show notes and i i've been hinting that i've been seeing oni colt anvil doing things in various formats like i've seen it in pioneer and i've seen it in historic and now we're seeing it in some modern shells and here's just another great example of it and Again, if you forgot, Oni Cult Anvil is an uncommon for black and a red Rakdos mana artifact. Whenever one or more artifacts you control leave the battlefield during your turn, create a 1-1 colorless construct artifact creature token. This ability triggers only once each turn. You can then also tap to sacrifice an artifact. Oni Cult Anvil deals one damage to each opponent and you gain one life. So this is a very self-contained little engine piece in that it can create construct artifact creature tokens and become one itself. It can uh, you can sacrifice those those artifact constructs later to Oni Cold Anvil. There's just a lot you can do with this, and uh, it's a good engine piece. And along for the ride with this deck. Uh, are other tools that help you really hit the opponent's life total. Along with Oni Cult Anvil doing the drain gain, it has the Witch's Oven, 
and cauldron familiar cat oven combo of course which does the drain game importantly this also does a lot of artifact creation with witch's oven making food tokens witch's oven itself is an artifact uh, for sacrificing in case you forgot witch's oven is an artifact <laughs> um, and there's just a lot of synergy here going on and disciple of the vault which is a single black mana card i believe originally from what the very first modern set Mirrodin? no Mirrodin. Y- yeah yeah infamous band card like this is a card that helped break standard along oh, with really? uh, the oh yeah this is one of the darkest periods of of standard for sure yeah so what, what it does it's just a black mana one one human cleric whenever an artifact is put into a graveyard you may have a target opponent lose one life and then of course it runs all sorts of value artifacts like mishra's bauble experimental synthesizer which is a key piece to run alongside oni called anvil that's the single red artifact that when it etbs you can exile a top card of your library and until the end of turn you can play it you can also sacrifice it to itself for two and a red to make a samurai uh, which also puts it into your graveyard which also effectively draws you a card off its ability and makes something uh, does a drain gain effect so there's all these pieces working in harmony to drain your opponent out of life and also stabilize the board if you need to with like some construct artifact creature tokens. It, of course, has for Urza Saga, which effectively makes more artifacts for you to be using and sacrificing Tanvil and also just make big beaters because what this really is is a aspiring spike deck, which means it's a mid-range deck that he, when I watched his league, where he 5-0'd, I watched you know every second of it, and he just grinds the opponent down with tons of value. Where it's like he doesn't even need to be attacking in, but he does because he eventually gets 5-5 and 6-6 Urza's Saga Construct tokens. Uh, he has Ravenous Squirrel in here as well, which is another cheap synergy piece where anytime you sacrifice an artifact or sacrifice a creature, you put a 1-1 counter on Ravenous Squirrel. And then it has awesome reach in Galvanic Blast, which if you have three or more artifacts, Metalcraft, it does four damage for a single red mana. Shrapnel Blast does five damage if you sacrifice an artifact for one of the red mana. So I'm just, I keep saying the same thing. There's just a lot of pieces working in very good harmony to drain your opponent of life while stabilizing the board and then attacking in the long game with Urza Saga and its ability to do everything you need in this deck. And the more I watched this deck in action, again, I was just like, Urza's Saga is just not okay sometimes. It just does so much for just a land drop. It just, it, he was attacking in with giant beaters. He was tutoring up artifacts that he could sacrifice, that he could gain. I mean, we all know how good Shadow Spear is. Springleaf Drum for access to mana. Witch's Oven is a one mana artifact. And it's so it's just it just does a lot and it really won a lot of games and he faced you know it has uh Thoughtseize in the sideboard for interacting with combo de- decks to buy him some time. It has Alpine Moon for interacting with opponents' mana. Uh Pithing Needle, of course, was another great Urza Saga target. So I think this deck is very legitimate. I think if you want to play a a slow sacrifice engine deck 
that just gets a lot of value and then has the burn reach, which I think is super important. There's so many games I saw him just get nine points of reach um, and just come out of nowhere to win. Uh, it just did a lot of work, and I think it's a very cool deck. Awesome. I'm very excited to see this deck get to a place in modern where it's worth trying out. Well, Certainly I mean, a lot of these, especially Experimental Synthesizer and Oni Cult were cards that were looked pretty interesting to everybody on the spoiler, I think. And so um, it's cool to see somebody work it out. Yeah, watch the VOD. The VOD is, is convinced. I mean, any five... Oh, I'm going to league I'm gonna leak this after yeah. after we record tonight. I'm going to take this through a league. I, I'm like, retired let's, let's right get, now. Let's get out of here. Let's... Uh... As you, can we cancel you know, this episode? I don't have anything going on tomorrow, so I'm just going to stay up late and play some, play some magic after we record. Yeah, man, stream that. I want to watch. One thing that I'm constantly impressed by is how is the longevity of cat oven combo in more and more formats. Like, One of the most annoying and broken things possible sometimes. Seriously, and, and like it took a while for it to make an appearance in Modern. Obviously, it was a... Very dominant force and standard, perhaps the dominant force. They had to ban Cauldron Familiar. We see it in Historic. We're seeing it pop up in Pioneer and now in Modern as well. And it's just this this dinky little cat and like this stupid little sack outlet that all you have to do is is tap it, which is oven. It's just like, you know, you can build a shell and slap a Lurus in there, throw a Ragavan, and you got a stew going. Yeah, what's what's wild, and then I'll get off this because we do have a lot of stuff to talk about. Is like it's when when you think about all these cards, they all cost like one mana and a few or two mana, and you you effectively get like three or four points of damage out of all of them. So it's like all of it's basically it's basically a burn deck. Like for all you know, all of all of your cards end up being just worth so much life loss on your opponent's end of things that that's how this deck functions, right? And then well, it, and, it just has other yeah. other ways of dealing damage as well. Yeah, and you mentioned Shrapnel Blast and Galvanic Blast. I mean, two cards that do a lot of work for good good return, and a lot of times you want to sacrifice things, you're going to have Metal Craft. So, you know, before we get off of this deck, the one thing I wanted to mention really quickly is um, Evert, you know, as ever, we are fans of his, met, had a, a tweet thread last week where the Cat Oven deck, where this Oni Cult deck appeared in it, where he mentioned, you know, what he thought were the best decks in modern from Neo with Neo cards and the heavily featured Neo cards. I just wanted to talk about what those were really quickly and just say, so there's four decks. One of them is the colorless dreadnought affinity list. That's very close to the list that I play tested two episodes ago. Definitely. If you want to hear us talk about that a little bit, go back to that first sleeve belief episode fun with artifacts edition, because I thought the deck had some, had some power to it. And Everett still thinks that it's kind of towards the top of the, the, um, the list there. Another one that's on there is, Similar to the other deck I played that episode, which is the Urza Affinity deck, the eight cast deck. Now he's got Consulate Dreadnoughts in there as well, but it's a moon. It's getting looking to leverage the power of Moonsnare prototype. You know, Spike shared four decks that he thought were really good as a result of Neo cards. Three of them have Urza Saga in them. It's the Oni Cult deck, this Blue Affinity eight eight cast deck, and the Colorless Dreadnought list all have Urza Saga. And then the last deck that he shared that he thought was really good as a result of this Bant Control which I thought was really interesting. And I think with Yorian and the card that it's featuring is March of Otherworldly Lights as a four, four of with four prismatic endings. Check it out if you want to. I just thought it was an interesting thread to see his thoughts on what the uh, the best decks post Neo are. Not best in the format, but best ones that heavily use Neo cards. But what else have people been doing in Modern? Since, you know, we always make time and make 
have attention for modern Stan. I think you might want to talk a little bit about it. Yeah, I sort of put my money where my mouth was last week, where I said I wanted to spend some time on Teamer Slogurk. And that's what I did. One thing I had posited last week was whether or not Seismic Assault was the worst card in in the deck that we saw top four challenge a couple weeks ago. And I had considered maybe that that particular card could be replaced with Elvish Reclaimer. You know, the, the one mana, one, two elf, you can pay two to destroy a land you control or sack a land you control, fetch up another land. Eventually it becomes a three, four. If you have enough lands, if you have at least three lands in your graveyard. Um, and I was working on that and uh, got to tell you, I hated it. Elvish Reclaimer, not a fun card in this deck, at least. And whether or not Slogurk has a future in modern, I just don't think it's necessarily a Reclaimer deck. And it was a, a worthwhile experiment, but it wasn't one that I felt had little legs. But the deck itself was still fun. Like Renin 6, Tarmogoyf, Ragavan, Expressive Iteration as a package, plus Slogurk, of course, to kind of tie it all together. And then being able to play Boseju's for value over and over with Renin 6. That Slogurk like, really ties the room together. <laughs> right? It's his, it's his really ornate Afghan design. But yeah, so I, I figured I would kind of just like go back to square one and think about the deck and how I can potentially iterate and improve on it by just like running the Scipios version through a league again. I did tweak the sideboard a little bit. Scipios had played Blood Moons, and the only deck that I still like Blood Moon against is Shadow. But against something like Amulet, because of the existence of Boseju, I feel like Blood Moon in a three-color deck is a, feels like a little bit of a liability. Because it can be really hard to cast Blood Moon and Seismic Assault and Slogurk and any of like your other cards that just don't have red man in it. So, so so I replaced that with Alpine Moon. So you also don't like it against four color blink then? Because I thought that generally it's decent against that deck as well, right? Um I think four color blink can actually play around it reasonably well. Mm. And if they manage to get an Omnath down before or after, it's just like that Blood Moon doesn't do anything. So I run this deck to the league today, actually. It was just kind of like a last-minute cram session because I was doing the Reclaimer testing last night. I was really disappointed with it. Wanted to see how I could do with just Seismic Assault because there were actually some situations and matchups where I missed it, and I wanted to really understand its role in the deck a little bit better to figure out when and where and why I may replace it. And I'm not sure I need to replace it because I just trophied. (laughs) I'm just in the trophy race now, guys. You just trophied with a deck with Slogurk, the Overslime, in it. And Seismic Assault, yeah. Wow, Stan. Do you think you're going to be the only person who does that this week? How, how do you think your chances of getting into the dump are? You know why I think they're good? It's because since the top four that this deck appeared in, I haven't seen any Seismic Assault decks in the league dumps. And I've been control-effing. You check in. Like Get a madman. You want to add something else to your resume, Stan? It's coming, maybe. Let's see. Well, all those other Slogurk decks are going to conflict with you. Yeah, we'll see about that. Yeah, that's the but, jokes. Shane. Yeah, you, you know, this is my first trophy since they split the friendly and or merged the friendly and competitive leagues. That's not true, is it? It's true. A lot of four ones, no trophies. Wow, I thought that you got one a couple weeks ago when I got one. No. When I got, yeah. Okay. No, I just, I just spiked a prelim. That's right. I did the harder thing. Well, congrats. That's That's great. Thanks. Yeah, and you know what? Like... Seismic Assault was literally the MVP. And it kind of actually led me to think that 
even though it looks like the worst card in your deck, there's just so many matchups where it ends up being the most important thing. And to help illustrate this, match five, game three, it was me against Mono Blue Merfolk. And they got me to one life, and I literally needed to top deck a life from the loam because I had a seismic assault out. And I did it, and I won, and I cast the, the life of the loam. And my opponent took a long pause. <laughs> and I happened to be sandbagging, sandbagging a land. And uh, so basically I got to four lands in hand to just like swing and connect for, you know, the reach that doing four shocks provided. Um, so that basically led me to believe a couple things. A, if this deck iterates and changes and, and eventually replaces Seismic Assault, the card that replaces Assault might not exist right now. Just because, like, it provides a lot of reach. It's really good against, like, small creatures on the ground. One of the cards, or one of the situations where I suggested that it's actually the most important card was Blue-White Hammer, of all things. Like, I I went 2-0 kind of bodied a Blue-White Hammer deck because I was able to get a Seismic Assault out really quickly. And then they just, like, they couldn't lend, stick a threat because all of their threats have two toughness. Um, and the only thing that that was I was really ever worried about was Sanctifier, in fact, and that's where Tarmogoyf and Slogar come in, where that just like blocks Sanctifier for days. So Seismic Assault, maybe a good card. And Slogurk, fifty cents. I should probably buy some. Yeah, spec it to the moon. The other conclusion I had about kind of this deck and maybe modern in general, even though like Slogurk is a really impressive value engine that every single line of text on that card is relevant to what this deck is trying to do. And it's like a really big Tarmogoyf that does other things. Ragavan, DRC, Bobble, and Expressive Iteration, and, and Brennan Six for that matter, like they just make decks better. Like if you just put those cards and maybe like Tarmogoyf and just like put the good cards into a deck, you can just like do crazy stuff on the side until you find something that that clicks and meshes and uh, advances either your board or your game state in such a way that you can, you know, essentially subsidize your experimentation by playing like the best cards in the format otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the other way to look at that might be that there's a core of cards that you have to play in order to keep up with the format. Right. And then tailoring the win cons that you have, or the kind of like, the way that you adjust that core of cards for the meta is by finding novel win conditions, right? And so in mm -hmm, your case, mm -hmm. this Slogurk Assault, assault uh, Seismic Assault plus Life from the Loam core, right, like also lets you look at things a different way and helps your deck against different matchups, right? And so there might be another time where Murktide becomes better. Even in the Teamer build, it might be better again. And then you switch it over to another way, you know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. Um, you know, I think it's part of what can make modern feel vibrant even if we're playing this a lot of the same cards in the cores. Yeah. Yeah, I did get lucky in some of my matchups and for instance, match one was against Oops All Spells, and I yeah. I had Boseju and Renin Six. So I just kind of ran them out of lands and got to live the dream that way, and that felt super good, of course. Yeah, just being able to like draw the good cards when I needed them, that just like helped me a lot. But I don't know, like Slogurk is the type of card that I think looks like an EDH thing. It's a legendary, it costs three, it has a lot of like weird text that cares about like lands in the yard. 
that I think it was easy for us to overlook it. I, I pretty sure we never talked about it when we did our oh, nah, terms no. and valve set review, but I just think it's really impressive in that Merktide slot. And like it's, it's death shadow. It's death shadow with text. It's just not a vanilla creature. Yeah. Yeah. Well, magic I, is fun. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, are you having fun? I mean, I'll, I'm having fun. I've been really trying to pick up a, a new deck. And so the last couple of weeks I bought the cards for, and then over the weekend, I finally had the time to start playing Buying with cards. Yeah. With started to play with uh five color, four color, whatever creativity. I've been trying to play indomitable creativity, fine. Indomitable yeah. creativity. Um, I don't know. versions because because there's like there's the four color version as you said and, and five colors like do you like one or the other more? well i don't know if i like any of them yet although i still think the core is really interesting but i have been playing you know inspired by yoked from our discord and trevor from our discord who picked up the deck i've been playing spider spaces version that is a five color one so it's uh creativity into archon of cruelty is like what you're trying to do with the combo there, but then you also have Red and Six and Teferi, Jace the Mind Sculptor, and then your kind of core of cards that make this deck. And also, you know, it's really close to the core cards that make um, Teamer Footfalls good as well, right? Without the Cascade or the Rhinos themselves, it's Prismari Command and Fire and Ice and little counter magic, Prismatic Ending, that kind of kind of stuff. Um, I really picked up, picked it up or wanted to try it because people I saw people starting to say that this is the deck that's the closest to Splinter Twin uh, that's in the format right now. And I think that Zach uh, Ryle, when he was on the show, actually said a similar thing about why he liked to play the deck is because it's that sort of combo control list with a with, that has a pretty easy way to have the combo go off. Um, so I thought it was pretty interesting to be able to play this kind of tempo-y game where you're like, well, I'm going to remand something and then get an extra token, and then I'm going to you know, Prismari command to make a treasure, and then I'm going to creativity on my treasure, and or pre- creativity your thing and my thing, and get rid of your thing that's making my stuff difficult and bring out Archon. I do think that the Archon as the payoff is like, it's sometimes uh, amazing and sometimes really not good enough to be able to yeah. pull you out of the hole that it is so that that's pretty interesting to me because the deck you know when, the, when this kind of core got really popular and also when the reanimator builds that have like a similar kind of payoff package got popular at the beginning of modern horizons to modern it was like oh we're gonna place the sarah's uh what's the sarah's card called emissary yeah sarah's emissary to be able to turn off to a certain type of card and then it was like well no we're gonna play emrakul and then now everybody seems to have circled around archon really closely and i think it's great in certain matchups um but other ones it's just like geez like decks with counter spells against this deck are it's pretty brutal even if you have a couple of counters around to help i don't know have you played against this deck much stan like what do you think about this one i don't know while yeah not, not in a while i i don't know what to think I've never even watched anyone play it. It's just one of those things that I keep seeing in lists and I respect, but yeah, I just assume like I tried to disrupt their lands. It's actually pretty hard to disrupt the lands in some ways because really you just need a bunch of mountains. And so the funniest mm. thing to me about this deck is like de- Blood Moon really is really swingy depending on like people do try to Blood Moon this deck because it looks fragile, but at the same time, it's like when you get to turn four, you almost don't care because you can just creativity for all red and yeah. still get Archon out. Um, but then other times if they blood moon early, you're just totally dead and there's no way to get back out of it. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I didn't do great with it. Um, 
I think I went three and seven in the two leagues that I did. So it was like a one, four and a two, three, but you know, I'm trying to get my legs under me. I haven't played a deck with remand in years. I haven't played a deck <laughs> with, you know, main deck, hard evidence ever. Um, so, and f- this is my first time trying out fire and ice, which is part of the reason that I wanted to check out this deck too, is because fire and ice is making a big splash in the format. And so I wanted to see what it was like to play with that card. And it's really good in a lot of different situations like i'm really surprised that something that can be this costly has enough efficient utility in the format to make it worthwhile but sometimes it really is like a counter spell or like a time walk where you're just kind of like okay i'm going to tap your land down and then that means the next turn i get to go off what what drew you to the deck in the first place was just like the splinter twin memes because you weren't playing creativity and historic no, I wasn't. I, I just wanted to try more of a combo-y deck, and I also wanted to play a deck that had Ren and Six and Teferi in it, and I really wanted to do this instead of the four-color control lists. And so I kind of wanted to put some time in with these before those cards kind of get banned or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I I know Ross had played it at SCGCon in was it Philly or Pittsburgh, somewhere in Pennsylvania, in, in the Heartland. Um, and, and he's been writing about it for, for Star City and just, you know, he still believes that it's a, is a real deck, but you know, what we had heard from Spider and from Zach Ryle is just that this deck is hard. And I, I think like knowing which mana to get and like which planeswalkers to lean on and when to play combo, when to play control or when to like hope that your opponent's defenses are down. Like that, that's the hard part about decks like this. Yeah. And I think that that's part of what attracted me to it too it's just like i feel like that's a part of my game i need to work on right like i'm not good at playing being the control role in magic anymore if i ever was actually good at it you know what i mean and so trying to to go into a deck where i'm thinking about that more often seemed like a interesting puzzle to solve to me especially after spending a long time just kind of aggroing people out with different builds of of prowess essentially over the last year or so but I mean, it was wild to be able to have a, a deck where I was like, okay, I'm playing Jace. Like, <laughs> like Jace is just, okay. Try Jace is Mind Sculptor, it's back. Yeah. Why aren't you playing Amulet? I thought that was your new deck. I thought you were Amulet guy now. You know what? Because it was cheaper for me to finish this deck in paper. All I had Variety to do- is a spice of life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to go for Amulet, but I already had all these cards except for Archons and the Creativity. So I just got a play set of of each of those and then now i have it in paper as well where to get amulet i had to buy like val i don't have any valakits i don't have any amulets i don't have any prime mule titans so i just felt it felt like a better use of my uh vast store of cre- store credit at card kingdom yeah get at us card yeah card kingdom. kingdom get at us sure no we mean that one if yeah, you yeah, want to talk real. card kingdom well if, if you want it to get good for you i hope it clicks soon because i know how hard it can be to like work on something that just is not resonating or you know yeah. maybe it's one of those things where at least for me occasionally like i'll get better with a deck after i move away to another one yeah like with merc tide like i stopped playing merc tide for a bit focused entirely on the falls then came back and was like oh god i'm doing much better with this that like yeah. sometimes it, it helps to get away yeah i mean I'm th- i am thinking about taking this one to so given that I'm changing jobs and I'm actually not working for the next few days, I am thinking about going to a paper tournament on Tuesday night at the store that's near my, my house. And I'm planning oh, yeah. to take this deck with me to play in paper, which should be oh kind of crazy as well. What do you think about that? Is that crazy? Is that a wild thought, Stan? No, go. 
Yeah. I, I kind of want to drop in now. Let's see Tuesday, come on, come on out. in stock. But uh, yeah, I'm just looking for something different, you know, and this seemed like something that was adjacent possible with a bunch of cards that I already had. And honestly, Trevor from our Discord has had pretty good success with it. And also, like I said, Yoked has. Now, I kind of want to try the list that Yoked from our has been playing, which is no Ren and Six. It's just kind of like a Jeskai list. Um, maybe it's a little bit simpler to play than trying to lean on Ren and Six. I did learn a lot about how good just was reminded about how good run and six is though with this deck being able to drop this and then kill somebody's ragavan on turn two is just like absurd or kill yeah. somebody's drc and then plus up to fix your mana after that it's yeah. it really goes and goes but Sounds Stan, fun. love magic yeah. love, love to card exactly love to card and that's what this episode's all about i did want to ask you a little bit no, you were talking to me about you were you're talking about trying to get better with a deck and things like that. We were gonna do a whole episode maybe about this sometime soon, but you know, what do you you've been enjoying getting better at magic, I think, lately, if I may be so bold as to say that. Do you feel like you've been running hot lately or what do you think? Oh sure. Oh sure. I mean I came in second at my local store championship, and that's really the thing that started it all. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh, I, I saw that. I came in eighth. I don't know if you remember yeah, and, that and part. And proud but. we were of your success. Yes. <laughs> you know, maybe this is a topic for a bigger episode, but I, I certainly tried to be somewhat self-aware about my year. Um, and like, it's not all wins. Like I've gone one four oh fours drops and leagues like all the time. But I think the turning point, a couple things were a real turning point for me. And one was when we had Zach Allen on before the Vegas episode, and he had talked about how much he attributed to some of his success to working with Harlan Fear. Yeah. And and just the value of having like a really strong player to provide feedback and and constructive criticism essentially and like kind of call you out on your mistakes and and some of those like unforced errors that you make or just like the poor judgments you make in games and that's kind of the hardest part to identify when you play alone. So like that was in my head and then we played in Vegas and I just didn't do particularly well in Vegas. And like, Dave, this is something you might understand and maybe some listeners do too, but it's like, I had this kid six months ago and it's like, if I'm going to spend time on magic, I should get better at it. (laughs) So I made the decision to get better. And that's when I sought out coaching with Dom and like Dominic Harvey has improved my magic thinking a lot um and now i kind of like that's really weirdly what magic is a lot about it's not really about the the physical play of the cards yeah it's not about like that clicking sound you do when you like snap snap, snap yeah you when you snap it when you snap a sleeve of card on your playmat yeah I, dave i don't know i don't remember what what the question was but basically i just i made the decision to get better and put the work into it and it's it's paid off a little bit and like we like it's I can't pretend like it's all skill. Like I'm suddenly some pro player. Like I've been getting lucky, but I think so much of being good at magic is knowing how to leverage that luck. And maybe even when you're being unlucky, playing really tightly and not making stupid mistakes. And when you are lucky, not throwing that away by making stupid mistakes and just like being more disciplined about sideboards and and mulligans and, and, just like minute in-game decisions that don't seem like they might make a big difference on the face, but can actually like change the entire texture of an individual turn 
because of like the information you have or the board state that you position yourself into. This is going to sound kind of broad or generic potentially, but like, do you think you're more benefiting from like mistake reduction or seeing new options that are better? Because I feel like mistake reduction is like a huge first step, right? Just like making fewer unforced errors, but I don't know how many of those you're making in the first place. I think it's um, mistake reduction is definitely a part of it, but I think it's also kind of just like recognizing what the best thing I can be doing every single turn is and just doing it. And a lot of what I, like when I talk about my work with Dom improving my magic thinking, it's just getting better at identifying like what I really should or want to be doing in, in a given position and how to make sure that I'm making the most informed choice in every position. For example, like he and I played, I was playing and he was doing one-on-one commentary on, on my stupid plays with four color blink. And it's just like, you know, sometimes in magic, you get in this habit of like, doing things second main and just like trying to force your opponent to make decisions in combat. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's just like, I'm going to do the thing and then second main, I'll like play a spell or, or play my land for turn just so that I can like get to combat to put the onus on my opponent to have to like be defensive or whatever. And something that I was failing to do was leveraging information pre-combat that could then inform how I'm attacking or what I'm doing post-combat. And there would be times where I would just like, I'd have four mana and an Omnath in hand and I would want to like go to attacks. And the advice is just like, no, play the Omnath, draw the card. So you know what you can do later and maybe know what you have, what tools you have to play with even mid combat. So like just getting smarter about leveraging information and and collecting information more aggressively and, and the value of that informing your decisions is just something that you know is important, like you know the importance of playing with a plan or, or or thinking about your opponent's plan, but sometimes I think you can get into this very passive play pattern. Arena really contributes to this a lot. Best of one formats, I think, contribute to like like passive habitual play patterns that might make for it's like a volume game. Yeah, yeah, and they might make for bad habits, um, and and just knowing how to like not fall back on bad habits and maybe just improving your intuition a little bit so that you're just like making the optimal plays as often as possible and recognizing a good deck when you see it. Like people are going to laugh at Slogurk, but there's just something there. And it's just like knowing when to like tap into things like that, even with Ragavan, even with Expressive Iteration, like knowing how to tap into like what cards can do. um, It's just something that isn't always as easy as it looks. And uh, that's how I've been getting a little bit better at it. That's awesome. And yeah, I think we should, there's probably some more to talk about there in a couple of weeks, but it's fun. You know, I'm glad that you're enjoying it and that you're seeing benefit, you know, you're seeing positive results because that's yeah. encouraging, right? And so that's a good thing. Yeah. The best part is like some of my successes have been on the couch sitting next to my wife and the pride in her eyes when I like jump up and do like that Tiger Woods, like 90 degree <laughs> fist up. <laughs> and she's like, wow, Stan, there's a little to- trophy icon on your computer screen. That seems good. And you got five, 150 of these other things. I don't know what they are. She's referring to PPs. She's not looking at your screen. Get she, out of here. Dave, she looks at my screen. Hmm. 
I'm, I'm explaining like tournament structures to her. It's like, well, the league, you can just do it over the course of the weekend. But if you're playing in a PTQ, you got to stand there for eight hours. And she's like, and she's like how, how long are you going to be playing? Yeah. <laughs> she's like, why can't you hold our child? I mean, that's awesome. I think that's a good way to put like a little bow on the magic discussion for today. I don't know if uh, you guys want to talk at all about some non-magic things that are bringing joy. Is there anything that we want to share with people that we've been enjoying over the last couple of weeks or that we're, we're doing outside of magic just for a fun wind down style kind of exclamation mark on this yeah, episode? Let's, let's do a, a non-wind down wind down. Okay. What, are you, what are you into, Dave? I'm worried that I might be into Minecraft. It only, it only took this long. <laughs> well, which version? Yeah. There's like 20 iterations of it, right? I, I The only one that I know about is the base one that I have on my Switch that I got be, because, um, or Santa got for my child, because I thought that, that he might enjoy it. Um, you know, he's six years old and he's learning how to play video games. And I have a lot of nice memories of playing video games with my dad on the Atari 400 and our Tandy SX3000 or whatever that was. Sierra games, stuff like that. And so I wanted to find a game that we could play together and he really loves it. But um, I've been enjoying like the weirdness of it and just trying to figure out what to do and just the like true open worldness of it where it's not like milk runs. There's there's no kind of plot or anything from what I can tell, at least in the base level version. It's just sort of wandering around and looking for rocks to hit with a pick and then running away from zombies and, and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's been it's been fun. I, it's not like I'm going to play it without him at some point in time. I don't I don't think anyway. Uh-huh. But um Minecraft streamer Dave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it did cross my mind. I was like could he and I do a podcast together about Minecraft like this kid discovering Minecraft and that'd be fun. We'd have all kinds of like misinformation in it of course, of things that he and I both, you know, misunderstand. Maybe we would make a pact with people to not look anything up on the internet or something like that, but mm. um you know, it's it's been fun. It's been a weird thing to kind of like discover this late since it's been around for what ten or ten or ten years plus at this point in time. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, and I'm I'm a little worried that I might like it as much as he does. That's sweet. That That's sounds sweet. great. It's better than hating it. It's better than being like, oh god, I really I'm, don't like what my kids into. I hate I hate these fingerboards. I can't do an ollie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shane, what was your first video game system? Um, my, my stepfather brought a lot of video games into my life. So we, I think he had like, he had the Atari 5200, mm-hmm. which was sick. Uh, it was, it was clearly their worst system between the 26, 52 and 7,800. Of but, course. Uh, it had, it, he had the trackball and stuff like that. So I was playing like trackball, like a uh, centipede and whatnot, but we also had the 26 and a Sega master system before I had the Nintendo uh, and so, actually, like I was a Master System kid, but it definitely had like less good franchises than Nintendo. Mm. And so, um, I still have the receipt from the purchase at Children's Palace oh, from man. from our Nintendo uh, Power System and Legend of Zelda. I, I own the receipt still. It's in it's in this drawer in an envelope, right here. Memories. Yeah, wow. it's just it's uh it's dope. Yeah, so I was. I was really into video games as a kid, but I, I had a lot. I had a lot of them. I was very. I was much more into PC games, as it turned out, ultimately. And then I kind of got into Nintendo, but I never got as deep into like the role playing games. Or just, like I never finished Link's The Adventure of Link, and like never finished Final Fantasy. But I finished every King's Quest game, every Space Quest game, ever like all those. I mean, that's classic 80s. Those are like better games. Those are like definitely, I think, just better. 
overtly learned, better games. I learned how to type and write because of those games, honestly, because they were they were all text prompts. So you would like go, you know, pick up bottle, and you'd be like, "Why won't it pick up the bottle?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you like know. you you have to figure out like the syntax of the game to like exactly combine combine bottle with you know <laughs> flaming like oily rag. Yeah. Topical, uh, Stan. What have you been up to? Or who, who, who wants to go with what they're with what they they've been loving this week? Shane, are you in love? Oh no, um, this has just been a, it's been a fine. You know what I loved as I went bowling with my my wife and her family, and I, I needed it so badly. Like I didn't realize how much I needed to like sort of just get out and do something fun and just like hang out and like have some three dollar uh, whatever the the drink of the drink special was there. And uh, it was dope. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. I lost to my father-in-law by one pin. Ooh. <laughs> so, yeah. What do you roll? Great. What kind of number are you scoring? Uh, I can get into are you like getting the tri- triple I digits. Can, I can get into the high one hundreds if things if if things are going well. What like one eighty? One ninety? We're yeah, talking. I, I, I can get up to there. Yeah, I, I had like a I had like a pathway to like two two o five, but like things fell apart mid game. I got like one one fifty. My goodness, I I am lucky to break a hundred at bowling. Same. To be honest, like Same. I am lucky to get one hundred and ten. I, I hook the ball. It's fun. Does this surprise you at all? Do you wear like the glove? No, I don't have like the arm brace. No, I probably not, should. Not I got yet. Old man arms. Like wait, just wait until until Shane is like leaguing at bowling. He's like. Wednesday night is my bowling league night. Thursday night is my magic online league night. Fridays I play flesh and blood. Exactly. Oh yeah, Mondays I play flesh and blood. What are you doing, Stanislav? I'm playing Pokemon Legends Arceus, also on the Nintendo Switch. Does that have a colon in there? Like Pokemon Legends, colon, Arceus, colon, Fates, (laughs) dash trucks. (laughs) Yeah, there might be a colon in it. I'm not sure. But yeah, I've been playing that new Pokemon game and it's awesome. It's really great. And it it helps put me to sleep because there's sometimes a ton of text and it's uh, like pretty therapeutic in it of itself. But I don't know if you two know this about me, but I've played every Pokemon RPG game, like starting with the original blue and red ones that came out when I was in fourth grade. And I've just kind of kept up with the franchise um, through Game Boy Advance, DS, 3DS and up to now. And this is like one of the best Pokemon games ever created. And like the first, like truly, innovative gaming experience for the franchise in a long time um I, yeah oh, that's I awesome yeah i don't know if your kids like pokemon at all dave or like if they like the let's go pikachu games at all but we've been maybe- playing pokemon snap sometimes which is like that's a level that he can understand mm, yeah. uh, let's let's go pikachu has been too hard for yeah. him a little bit okay. i think because it's he sort of doesn't understand what he's doing he likes the pictures yeah. i tried to teach him the card game but um i don't know how to play it so we didn't get we didn't get around to get back to it, but if you got to get these kids into Vampire Survivor, that's the re- that's the real thing. Have Vampire: you guys play, have The you guys Eternal played, Struggle. No, have you have you played Vampire Survivor yet? I've never heard no. of this. Oh man, just look it up after this. That <laughs> as Bad End would say, that the time to skeleton is really good. The time to TTS, very good TTS. That's funny. You know, my kid is a kind of a creepy kid. Like he loves <laughs> ghosts and Halloween. Like he's Halloween boy kind of. So, yeah, that's interesting. Maybe maybe we would like that. What's it called? A vampire? What? Vampire Survivor. This Vampire Survivor. This game looks old, but you're telling me it's new. Yeah, it's it's sweet. Check it out. Anyway, this is a fun one, guys. You know, maybe we should never do any prep work for our episodes. 
I we mean, st- we still I'm went to time. We have notes that we did not get to. We had subjects we did not get to that we decided to cut on the fly here. Yeah. So, yeah. How does anyone do a podcast that's not two hours long? That's what I want to yes. know. They yeah. hate their co-hosts. That's how. <laughs> that must be it. Yeah. I, 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 I'll be open to hearing feedback on this one, whether or not our, our, our listeners and patrons like this kind of more, like, less singular in its focus and a little bit more just like what we're into in a given week. Not necessarily like the MTG Goldfish podcast, which is like truly generalist, but maybe just a little bit more diverse within an episode. Could be fun to do it periodically. But until that may or may not happen, that does wrap up this week's show. And if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. If you use Apple or Spotify, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast, you can reach us at The Dive Down on Twitter, or you can even email thedivedown at gmail.com. We've been getting some emails that we see, we sometimes respond to them, but um, we really appreciate when people do reach out. So feel free to email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash thedivedown. You can also support us while playing Magic with a Mana Trader subscription. And if you use coupon code THEDIVEDOWN2022, all one word, you'll get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. You can also use coupon code THEDIVEDOWN2022 to get 15% off your first order from Barrister and Man, grooming, hair care, facial care, soaps. It's on barristerandman.com. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there, be good to yourselves, and be good to each other. <laughs>